So this is John 18, 28 into chapter 19, 16. And as we look at this chapter in, um, or passage in John, again, we have a harmony of the Gospels happening here because kind of blends together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pull together. So it may seem like we've got some gaps in this passage, but John, well, the Holy Spirit through John was, make, was emphasizing a point here. And that point is, Pilate didn't know what to do about Jesus. He didn't know what to do about Jesus. The Jews, they knew what they wanted to do with Jesus. They wanted to reject him and kill him. Pilate was vacillating, you know, what, what to do with him. And that's the whole point of this. The only thing that matters in this life is what we do with Jesus. The only thing. That matters is what we do with Jesus. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter where you go to school. Doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear or what kind of husband you have or where you live. How many kids you have. Whether you have a dog or not. The only thing that matters is what we do with Jesus. He has all authority. He is sovereign. He is the king of kings. And he came to conquer Sin and death. That's what a king does. A king conquers territories, lands, whatever, kings. This king of kings came to conquer sin and death. And I just want to lay this passage out for you before we get into it. Philippians 2, 6 to 11. Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born of the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's all about. And he had to come, and he, the thing that he conquered was sin and death. So we are on the precipice here of going into the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of his victory in that. This is the battle he's fighting for us. So we are, yeah! I mean, some of the songs are morbid and blood, and yeah, it is, but that's not the focus here. It is a joyous, our king is, is victorious here. He's not just the king of kings, conquering sin and death, but he's also the judge of all. And he's not going to sit in judgment, but what we do with Jesus, that's the judgment right there, isn't it? What we do with him. What we do with him, that's the judgment. He knows everything. He's truth. Um, And Mark 10 because this comes into our passage also. He knows everything. In Mark 10, when I flipped over there, I got these little subtitles on my thing in verse 32. It's right there. Jesus foretells his death a third time. 
He told them over and over and over three times what he was going to do. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. He had been teaching and they were like in awe of it. And Jesus was walking ahead of them and the people were amazed. And those who followed him were afraid. And talking to the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. He's telling them for the third time, saying, See, we are going to Je- up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they would condemn him to death, and then deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. That's in there three times. So they were told ahead of time all this was going to happen. He's all-knowing. He's outside of time. He's sovereign. So in today's passage, we find this king of kings, the judge of the world, in the courtroom of men. Okay, you got the kind of the picture there? What's happening here? All right. So this first phase here, the end of chapter 18, is our first phase of the civil trial. Remember I said there were three phases of the, the, um, with the Jews, and um, now we have three phases of, for the civil trial with the Gentiles. So Jesus is the one in charge. He's got all authority. And in 18, verse 38, now is that what I want? No, I want 39. No, I don't. I want 28. Hey, Joyce, you with me? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you're not the only one that's having those moments today. I'm telling you, you're not the only one. Okay. Eighteen twenty-eight. Then they led Jesus, like a lamb to the slaughter, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. And it was early morning. So it's giving us details that this actually happened early morning, probably, you know, between 3 and 6 a.m. in there. And they wanted to get it done before the crowd was aware of anything happening. And they themselves did not enter into the governor's headquarters, Gentiles, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. They had a belief back then that um, the Jews believed that the Gentiles would just had really no they had a careless attitude toward life, and abortions were pretty dominant, you know, or whatever. And so they would, a lot of times, they believed the Jews just, the Gentiles would just flush aborted fetuses or different things down into their septic system, the sewage thing, the water thing in there, and that their homes were just filthy. So it was more of a defilement about being around a dead body or something like that. And so there, there were reasons more reasons also, but this was the main one, that they didn't want to be defiled by being near a dead body before they did Passover. And they believed that this was a practice that the Gentiles had at that time. And so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to you. Is that skirting the issue or what, you know? (laughs) Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they're bringing him to before um, Pilate. 
They've already had their sham trial before, and they already have condemned him to death. But they were powerless to put him to death because the Romans forbid them from executing anybody. And the reasons the Romans forbid the Jews, who had a little community within the bigger Roman thing, um, was because they might just perhaps execute someone who's loyal to the Roman um, Empire. So they said, you can't kill anybody. It's not your right to kill anybody. If any killing's going to be done, it's going to be by us Romans here. So they couldn't. They sentenced him to death, but they couldn't carry it out. And so they had a dilemma here. So here we have Pilate now shuffling back and forth between going outside where the, the Jews are and shuffling back into his headquarters where Jesus is. And so he's trying to get to them, what, what has this man done? And they just said, hey, well, he's a bad guy. He's an evildoer. They wanted him just to rubber stamp what they were doing. They didn't even want him to ask any questions or anything. They said, he's bad. We're bringing him to you, and he's, he's a bad person. So just rubber stamp it. Let's get on with this. The sun's coming up. We need to get this over with. Well, he, they also knew that blasphemy would not stand up in a Roman court for death. That was not a death penalty for the Romans. And so they tried to get around it, but Pilate wasn't buying any of it. He wasn't going to go there. Because being an evildoer um, or being a bad person doesn't constitute the death penalty. I mean, it's an insult to your character maybe, but it's not a legal violation. But what comes out in this passage is their motivation when they said, it is unlawful for us to put anyone to death. That's their goal. They want to put him to death. And in verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And not only that, we just learned from Mark that they were going to accuse him, the Jews, and then they were going to bring him to the Gentiles, and then the flogging and everything else, and they were going to crucify him. He knew it all up front. The motive was to put Jesus to death and to be lifted up because the Jews didn't crucify. That was a Roman execution. Very, very cruel and evil. So Pilate shuffles back inside to Jesus because he's not wanting to get involved in any of this. He, he really doesn't. He wasn't a very good leader. He had already had some run-ins with the higher-ups on some bad choices he had done, and they were kind of watching him. And besides, it wasn't a very secure no one was really secure in these kind of positions, even in today in any kind of political thing. It's not secure. They're backstabbers and the kings and, you know, they, it's shenanigans all over the place, you know? The only security is Christians have in the kingdom of God. So he's not wanting to do, he's not wanting to get involved here. Okay. So he shuffles back into Jesus, trying to settle this issue. Plus, they got him out of bed, I guess, if it was between 3 and 6 a.m. So, you know, what? <laughs> we don't like to get up then. So, verse 33 tells us, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, this is, we need a little background for this question because Pilate somehow got his information that he was king of the Jews. And with that, we need to peek over to Luke 23, verses 1 to 3a. Um, 
Then the whole company of them arose, the Jews, and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. That's why Caesar's asking him this, Pilate's asking him this question. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? So the Jews had presented Jesus as a king that was going to be in opposition to Caesar. Okay, so he comes in and says, are you a king of the Jews? Um, we know it's a lie. From Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things of God. He supported that whole thing that was going on there. So they are lying through their teeth. And Jesus counters the question in verse 34 by saying this. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord Or did others say to you about me? He wanted to know where this gossip line was coming from. Plus, Jesus wanted clarification of what he was talking about when he was referring to a kingdom. Because if indeed Jesus was a king in a political sense, then he'd be a threat to Rome. And then Pilate could do something about that. But he wasn't. But he couldn't deny either that he was Messiah, Israel's king. All right? So Jesus is very clever. So he's throwing out another question there for clarification. Well, this totally frustrates Pilate in verse 35. And he just, because he's getting frustrated. He got out of bed early. He's just frustrated. He says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? What have you done? In other words, let's get on with this. What, what's going on here? We're just like double talking and stuff. He was frustrated. He was puzzled. He was angered. He's just demanded. What have you done? Because in his mind's eye, no earthly king would have allowed himself to be captured so easily, right? They would have fought him off. And, and Pilate probably knew that Jesus very willingly came. And Jesus, when his followers like Peter tried to fight off, what did he do? No, he rebuked them and he said no. So that's not natural for an earthly king to do something like this. His kingdom is not in, does not originate out of human effort. Just like we being a part of that kingdom isn't human effort, is it? It's, it's faith. It's not based on works. So Jesus answers him in verse 36, because he's getting all flushed. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting for me, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. So he's speaking the truth to Pilate. He's telling him what he's all about, that his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a, he's, he's Messiah. Um, he came, he's, he's conquering sin. He lives in the lives of those who belong to his spiritual kingdom. That's his reign. It's in the hearts of believers. And when he returns... Soon, we hope, for a thousand-year reign, he'll reign here on earth. He's the king. He has a spiritual realm. He's not a threat to Rome. 
what he proclaims is truth about life. Second Peter 1, 3 says he, he teaches all things that pertain to life and godliness, which is God and men and sin and judgment and holiness and love and eternal life. Those, that's truth. That's the reality. That's the spiritual realm, which is more real than this realm. That's his kingdom. And what people do with that message of his determines their eternal destiny. And only those who hear his voice will follow. Spells it right out there, right in front of Pilate. Well, Pilate draws a conclusion from all that in verse 38. Pilate says, what is truth? And he didn't want an answer to that. That was a flippant, sarcastic response. He throws that out there, cynical remark. God is truth. Satan's a liar, a falsehood. If there is no truth, if there's no absolutes, then truth is relevant, subjective. It, it doesn't, there's, it's not even truth. It's something else. It's, I don't know, it's what you want it to be. It's your own, it's relative. It's your own reality. But if you are a thinking person, you would know that there are truths. We live with gravity. We live with the fact that I'm not going to fly into outer space standing up here, right? Um, There's a lot of truth and a lot of evidence of truth out there. But if you're going to ignore that and not know what the source of the truth is, being God, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then you might as well scrap the whole thing. You can make any kind of laws you want to in your courtrooms. We see that happen today. You can decide whatever, change the laws, do whatever, flex, you know, who's ever in charge can do whatever they want to do. So he's flippantly just saying, ah, what, what is truth? Does it even matter? So he's from that, drawn his conclusion. He shuffles back outside to where the Jews are waiting. And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Because he couldn't. He couldn't find anything wrong with them. Well, there's some truth there because there isn't anything wrong with him. But also, he made his decision on what to do with Jesus because he just heard the gospel. And he's just going to wash his hands of it and just say whatever. Um, Without truth, without an absolute truth, cases in a courtroom cannot be decided. Right? There's no anchor There's nothing to ground us. And when there's nothing to ground us and there's no security, what do we have? Anxiety, right? Stress. God came to give us peace and everything. But if we are just, you know, whatever, or we're the one deciding. I mean, you ever been around a person that can't make a decision? I get like that sometimes in the cereal aisle. (laughs) There's just too many choices to make, right? Just leave us with four or five, but I mean, it's a whole, and Oreos, my gosh, if they come up with another brand of Oreo, I'm going to freak out. But we can see here that Pilate really didn't know what to do with Jesus. At this point, he's really not sure, but he's not buying into this truth thing. So we're going to carry on, and as we do, I want to point out that John did not record the second and third phases of the Lord's Uh, trial here, the civil trial, okay? The Sanhedrin had met at Caiaphas' house during the night, and they decided that Jesus should die 
And since the Jews, uh, Jewish law did not permit them to have capital trials to be held at night, the Sanhedrin reconvened after daybreak and formally pronounced the sentence. This is found in Matthew chapters 26 and 27. So they all did their sneaky little thing at night. Because it was illegal for them to do it at night, they pretended like they were saying it in the morning, but they had already decided the case. So Pilate was trying to rid himself of this whole thing in verse 31. He just, he just wants to kind of let it all go. So he's transferred, which we find in, in Luke chapter 23, that Pilate's not knowing what to do. So he transfers him to Herod Antipas, who was the ruler in Jesus' home region of Galilee. Okay, we're going to send him back. He really belongs there. It's your jurisdiction. Send him back there. But Herod just mocks Jesus and sends him back to Pilate. So that's our, this was the first we just did. Sending him to Herod was the second phase. And now back to Pilate here is the third phase here. Sends him back to Pilate. Pilate should release him because he formally announced that Jesus is innocent. I find no guilt in this man. That's what he should have done. But fear for his own position, fear of a riot, because if he had, part of what these guys needed to do was make sure everyone was pretty much under the thumb of Rome and no one was going to get out of whack with stuff, right? And he didn't want any riots. So he was really in a caught between a hard spot and he wasn't sure what to do. But fear was a part of all of this. So he's thinking, and wow, genius, he comes up with another plan. And that's where we pick it up in with the, um, his proposal. He has two proposals. And the first one is in verse 39, but you have a custom, he says to the Jews, that I should release one man for you at Passover. So you do not want me to release your king of the Jews? And they cried out, again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. That, that word robber doesn't really give us a whole idea of who, who Barabbas was. He was actually an insurrectionist. He was someone from Mark and Luke, we learn, and in Acts, that he was somebody who was stirring the pot, making trouble for Rome. He was acting. He was the one that should have been in bars. And why he let him go, I don't think Rome would have appreciated that too much because this guy was a rebel rouser, okay, and a murderer. Um, he was a notorious criminal, um, but they were trying to condemn Jesus of being an insurrectionist, and he wasn't. But here they, Barabbas, send him out. And so Pius going back and forth, running out. He's running out of options, and so he asks the crowd, you know, what, what do you want me to do? And they say, no, it's Barabbas. They want him to be crucified. Okay, he didn't want to do that. He's, you know, he doesn't really find the legalities to do this. He didn't do anything to justify a death sentence. So he comes up with a second proposal. He figures, well, I can go and scourge Jesus. Then Pilate took Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 19 and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came out to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Now, I know many of you have had um, instances of, I've heard stories at around Christmas, Easter time of what happened there, but I just have a little paragraph on scourging or flogging. It was a hideous, I'm going to read this, hideous, cruel form of punishment. The victim was stripped, bound to a post, 
and beaten by several torturers in, tu- in turn. So you had the torturous guy, and you can just see him with the black mask and the sweaty, buffed out <laughs> things that pictures always have, the grim reaper. And they had a, a, a tool that they would use um, um, that was a, um, well, before I get to that, so he was beaten and everything. The Jewish law set the maximum number of blows at 40. And in Deuteronomy 25, it says this, if there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. So maybe you got one, maybe you got two, whatever. Forty stripes was, may be given, but not more. That was the maximum they could do. Maximum sentence there was 40. Probably most people didn't have that happen. So Jesus is here, and they have several of these grim reapers there, and they take turns wailing into his back. And usually they would do it when one of them got exhausted um, the Romans, however, were not bound by such restrictions, so they could do as many times as they wanted to. The punishment would continue until the torturers were exhausted, or the commanding officer decided to stop it, or, as was often the case, the victim died. The whip consisted of a short wooden handle in which several leather thongs, each with jagged pieces of bone or metal attached to the end, were fastened. As a result, the body could be torn so and lacerated that the muscles, bones, veins, and even interior organs were exposed. Most of the time, people did not survive a flogging. Now, what do we know about Jesus? We already know he has the authority to lay down his life or to take it up. We already know that he knows how he's going to die. It's going to be on the cross. I don't know about you guys, but I have been in pain sometimes where I had a little hernia thing and and I would go through the spell of just, oh, and I would just start sweating and it would, I'd eventually pass out. Um, I got it fixed, but um, it was at a point where in my mind I was saying, okay, God, just let me die. (laughs) Swear, just let me die. But Jesus didn't give into that. He didn't give in to that. And it dawned on me like, whoa, he put up with so much of that. He says, no, I'm not going to lay my life down with that. I'm even going to go through all of this. And I wonder if that part of that was even so horrific, the pain and, and what they did to him. The huge guys ripping open his back like that and yet not throwing in the towel. Crying out, uncle, whatever you want to say about it. He, he held on to life for us. So that was the flogging. Now, it was already, Pilate's already done something he shouldn't have done because he punished a man that he had declared innocent. Okay? He doesn't really know what to do. But he was hoping he would appease this crowd by brutally punishing Jesus, that maybe they would see, have pity, you know? 
any any inkling of any kind of human, you know, whatever, look, you know, is this is this not good enough? Can you not like, oh my gosh, turn away and say, but no. They want him dead. And the crowd yelled out in one voice, crucify him. So mocked, crown of thorns, purple robe, slapped in the face, back torn out, and yet he hung on to life because he still had a ways to go. It was obedient unto death, and it was the death that God the Father had prescribed because he hadn't drinking the, the cup yet. So once again, Pilate um, affirms Jesus' innocence in verse uh, 4. Pilate went out and again said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He's given him back. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. He's getting utterly frustrated with what's going on with him. And it's back and forth with him. The man, Pilate, was tormented. So were the Jews because they wanted him dead. They just wanted it to, to kill him, get him out of the way. So anyways, verse 7, we'll carry on. Their motive is pure. They wanted him dead. Pilate didn't know what to do. Verse 8, when Pilate... Oh, seven. The Jews answered him, and they said, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Whoa. Pilate didn't need to hear that one, did he? Because they were already pretty superstitious and all these gods that the Romans believe and all these mystical things. What if, what if he just now flogged a god, small g, or a son of a god, or what if vengeance is now going to come upon him and everything? And not only that, what else do we have? We have her, his wife with the dream recorded in Matthew 27 saying, have nothing to do with this man. I had a horrible dream. Let it go. You just wonder how many, how many people really are torturously grappling with, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with him? This story here in John is like a, a, a symbolic demonstration of how people Jesus calls and woos and the truth is there. And it's like, no, no, no. So Pilate goes back to him and after he hears this, you know, he's, he's a, you know, he's a God. In verse 8, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again, comes back in and says to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus didn't answer him. Oh, silence is probably the worst kind of thing there. The silence was a judgment. And he had already told him his kingdom wasn't here. So he's already said it. So there's no point in saying it again. He didn't believe it. He wasn't, he wasn't buying into that Jesus is who he is. So he was irritated by Jesus' silence. He was insulted by Jesus' lack of respect for his power and his dignity. Um, he says to him, don't you know pretty much who you're talking to? I have the power to let you go or to crucify you, which was true. It had come down to him. He could have done either one, but he didn't have the courage to do either one, right? He was trying to avoid the responsibility, but deep down inside, he knew he had the responsibility. He was frustrated 
And Jesus answers him and says in 11, You would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, whoever delivered you over to me has the greater sin. Do you know what he's talking about here? Caiaphas. Caiaphas had seen many, 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 many times over evidence that Jesus is the Messiah and rejected it and rejected it. Pilate didn't get, he didn't see any of that. It was more displayed to Caiaphas who turned him over to Pilate was the one that really had the blood on his hands. Pilate believed that Jesus was innocent of anything worth the death penalty and he wanted to make an effort to to get rid of him, to release him. In verse 12, he says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews kept crying out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. You get to see Pilate in there, just pacing the floor. I can't, I can't do, I, well, you know, what do I do this? And hearing the crowd outside, louder, 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 crucified. They're about to have a riot. And if he didn't hand him over, there probably would have been a riot. And he would have lost his position. He would have been in trouble. Out of fear of the people. Fear of losing his little security in life. Um, so the Roman or the Jews have one last lie up their sleeve here. They are so corrupt. They basically make it out that, you know, he's made himself out to be king. He's against Caesar. And that they're all friends of Caesar down there, all those Jews. And if you let this man go who's opposed to Caesar, then you're no friend of Caesar. Put Pilate, which wasn't true, but put him in a position. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat, a place called the Stone Pavement in the Aramea Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Again, John's giving us details here to let us know this is reality. This really happened in place and time. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king in one last mockery to them. What kind of a king, a helpless, beaten man who couldn't even walk without help, um, just mocking them by presenting this bloody body as a king. That was his decision. There it was. And what's the Jews' response? They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The Jews responded to Jesus with total rejection. And by verbally saying that out loud, right, they weren't honoring Jesus as their king. They rejected him. But you know what? Scripture says we serve either Jesus or Satan. So their king, they said, was Caesar. But in reality, it was Satan who was behind all of this, spurring them on. So they made their decision. They were choosing hell. Pilate made his decision regarding Jesus, not based out of anger and hate toward him, but based out of fear of that he would lose his lifestyle that he had of this wonderful, whatever, however wonderful it was, as being, you know, in a position that he was in. And so that's why John kind of wrote the way he wrote it here. 
because it is something that we need to do. We need to lay it out there. What do we do with them? To get to to submit to the lordship of Christ, and this is a daily thing too. I mean, there's that initial accepting him as Lord and Savior, but a day-to-day thing. Is he king? Am I submitting to him? Am I serving him? Or am I all caught up in everything else and anxiety and stuff? Or truly, is he present in my life? Is he my shepherd? Am I following him? It's a day-to-day thing, what we do to Jesus. Almighty God, no words can really express our gratitude towards you. But we can show it to you by being submissive to your leading, to being humbled ourselves. Help us, God, to be good servants. Help us to be lights for you, to your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.